It's so good to be here, Lighthouse. And I praise God for his presence, for his joy, for his peace. We want to welcome our YWAMers to Lighthouse. Thank you for being here. And for those watching us online, we want to welcome you as well. All right. You know, there's no overdose in prayer, so this is a good time to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your joy, for your peace, for your presence. Holy Spirit, we know, we know you are in this house. We have sensed and felt your presence the moment we walked in. And so, Lord, we are eager, we are excited, Lord, at what you're about to do. And Father, we pray for Pastor Giorgio and Sister Rose as the whole family is in Samar. We pray for Mommy Elby. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would grant each one the desire of their heart. We ask, Lord, that this be a special bonding moment, Lord God, for the whole Baldo clan. And Father, we take a moment too to pray for Israel. Next month, they will be celebrating their 75th year as a nation on May 14. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That the Prince of Peace will stand over all the gates of the city in their citadels. Lord, we ask for unity to be poured out upon your people. Father, we thank you that when we pray, you do hear us because we gather in your name. And Lord, anoint your servant. Well, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for this glorious time that we're about to experience in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Do we have the PowerPoint? Thank God. You know, I, I was so excited. I said, I, I'm going to get to preach and we're going to see the LED board. Uh, but it's not working today. But it's not about my excitement. It's about God's presence in his house. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to speak to you today from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. And I titled this message, What Kind of King Are You Expecting? This is Palm Sunday, and in your Bibles, there's a subtitle there, The Triumphal Entry of Jesus. So let's read Matthew uh, 21, 1 to 11. So you'd have to focus your eyes on the smaller LED screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone if, any, if anyone says to you, if anything's, sorry, what does it say there? It disappeared. Okay. If anyone says to you, say to them, the Lord has need of them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill 
what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fall of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloak on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while other branches while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Palm Sunday, a week from Resurrection Sunday. The stage was set. The streets were packed with people. And the crowds continued to swell. Word got around so quickly and spread that Jesus was coming. And that Jesus would pass through the towns of Bethany and Bethpage. And coming from the Mount of Olives, he would enter Jerusalem through the East Gate. Including the huge crowd that was at the funeral of Lazarus and saw him perform that miracle as he raised Lazarus from the dead. All those people and all the people they had spoken to about his miracles, they all flocked to the city. Jerusalem is a walled city. Can we have the next? There you go. And it has eight gates. Let's go clockwise. The Eastern Gate, Dung Gate, Zion Gate, Jaffa Gate, New Gate, Damascus Gate, Herod's Gate, and Lion's Gate. Today, only seven gates are open. The Eastern Gate, also known as the Golden Gate or the Eternal Gate, is closed. During the Ottoman Empire, they heard that the Messiah would come through the East Gate, so they shut the gate, not knowing Jesus had already come and walked on Palm Sunday to enter the city. So Jesus was entering through the Eastern Gate. You know, when a conquering king enters the city, he comes with his whole court of entourage. And he is surrounded by his personal security. Bodyguards of the finest fighting men. Those that were seasoned in battle. And the conquering king, when he would enter a city, would usually come on a fully decorated war horse. And the war horse 
When you compare that to a regular horse, this war horse had been trained for battle. This war horse is not distracted by the shouts, by noise, by the clashing of swords and shields. No, this war horse is attentive to his master's command. And the king would ride with his crown encrusted with precious gems and pearls and diamonds and he held a scepter filled also with precious stones and these extravagant symbols proclaim majesty glory and power the characteristics of a victorious king through these symbols monarchs confirm and demand authority not so in the case of Jesus. Jesus would walk in to Jerusalem, yes, as a king, but a humble servant. So I'd like to share with you three things that are in my heart today about Palm Sunday. And I pray that as you hear this, you will not just remember that moment, but you will realize that the beginning, that day, the moment Jesus walked in, he already knew what was going to happen on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And yet, our King willingly entered the city. So three things that are in my heart. Number one, Jesus is the servant king. Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king, yet not by the world's standard. He rode a donkey covered with cloak as he fulfilled the prophecy found in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, humble, riding on a donkey on a colt, the fall of a donkey. King Jesus simple, humble, meek. He was not escorted by security of bodyguards. He was not accompanied by an elaborate entourage, but by people who loved him, his disciples, by people who witnessed his miracles, by people who received miracles from him. The crowd ahead of him and those following behind him shouted Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest heavens. You know that title son of David confirms not only prophecy but you know Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the city of David following that same lineage but more than that, 
son of David is a messianic title, which means the people were acknowledging, here comes the long-awaited Messiah, our deliverer. He has come. In spite of Jesus' complete humility, there was such a stirring in the whole city. The atmosphere was electrifying. And that's why some in the crowds were saying, Who is this? What's going on here? How come all this shake up? And people answered, This is the prophet from Nazareth. Little did they know, This is the king of all kings. What kind of king were they expecting? What kind of king are you expecting to rule and reign in your heart? Someone riding on a war horse and behind him his troops and ready to wage war and overthrow the existing government, the government that has oppressed them for so many years. And they were expecting the moment Jesus would start a riot or a coup. By our definition, we are experienced in having several coups in the past. And overthrow the Roman Empire and then set up his kingdom. But then when the people who were expecting that kind of deliverance began to realize this isn't going to happen they became so disappointed. You know, when our hopes on our present circumstances, when we set our hopes on certain things, when we expect God to move and answer in the way we want Him to answer, and then it doesn't happen, we get disappointed. We felt let down. And we ask God, why? Are you abandoning me? Have you forgotten me? When we follow that line of thinking, we are in danger to rejecting our king. Just because he failed to deliver according to our earthly expectations. Perhaps that is why many nowadays refuse to take him seriously. We focus on the temporary instead of the eternal. We always expect Jesus to answer our own way. And then we conclude, oh yes, he is surely an answering God. This is what I ask and this is what he gave me. How good God is. But it was through his humble obedience to the Father that Christ demonstrated his authority as the King of Kings, a righteous model of true submission to God. Oh, my friends, are we missing the big eternal picture like Israel on that first Palm Sunday? May it never be. On Palm Sunday, the crowds in Jerusalem expected Jesus to overthrow their Roman oppressors and secure a crushing victory. They envisioned a conqueror 
who would utterly transform their circumstances. They could not see how through death, Jesus would crush the head of the serpent. They could not see that Christ came this time not to slay their enemies, but to save his children. Not to squeeze surrender out of his subjects, but to graciously invite them to come to him. A personal, gentle, humble invitation. While on Sunday the crowd shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. By Friday, they will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now this begs the question, Jesus, being also God, and knowing what awaited him the moment he stepped into Jerusalem, why was he so determined to go to Jerusalem? Knowing all the things that were about to happen, that was about to happen to him. Why the commitment on his part to follow through? Jesus himself tells his disciples in Mark 10, 33 and 34. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. You know, the disciples understood this word. So this word struck fear and wonder to those who were with him. Never had they seen someone so determined to face death. They couldn't understand that. Wrapped up with such purpose and conviction. The answer to this would be found in the purpose statement of Jesus in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When everyone attached themselves to him, thinking of his greatness, his power, his majesty, his miraculous wonders, that he was the son of man who would rule, but no, instead he confessed himself as one who had come as a lowly servant. Though it applied in many situations through the life of Jesus, that he often gave himself, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, he did wonders and miracles, he caused the blind eyes to see, the deaf ears to hear, he welcomed the outcasts, the strangers, even the lepers. His service... His being the servant finds its ultimate fulfillment in the events that were to take place in the next few days after Palm Sunday. That Jesus most serves us as one who was mocked, as one condemned to death, spit upon, flogged, and eventually would be killed. 
And that's how he would serve. The extent of his love manifest. Not primarily by giving us morals on how to live, though he showed it. Not because he fought against the system. No, no. The one who referred to himself as the most powerful being, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of service and submission, worthy of even the worship that was due to God alone. He would not mount on a royal throne to take his kingdom, would not even be swept up by the acclaims of the crowd. No, he would ascend to a Roman cross. That's the extent of his love for you, for me. That's how he would serve us willingly, eagerly. That's where Palm Sunday is headed. So even when you go home later, ponder the events of Palm Sunday. Because this is where it's going. That's where we're headed. From the very beginning, that has been his purpose. He had set himself to accomplish that. Eagerly wanting to enter the city. There is no service of Jesus to us outside from this picture. So Jesus is the servant king. He is also the suffering king. Number two. You know, we live in a democracy. And we get to elect our officials every six years. So we... Because we get to elect our government officials, we have a certain grasp. We can relate to a certain extent to our political leaders. What more if you lived under a monarchy where the king was sovereign, where the king was completely in charge? Whatever he said or did, no one could question. Where the king also, if he were a good king, would so take care of his subjects. And so, Jesus, a suffering king, their minds could not comprehend that. They had only one picture, one mold of what their king would be like. Jesus coming to us, coming to Jerusalem. No, no, no. We can't even have audience with our king. We have to pass through so many other people. But he coming to us, I can't, I can't comprehend this kind of king. And much more suffering for me. Is this a king? What kind of king is this? So their minds could not conceive of a king who was willing to suffer. For their sakes. This is unheard of. What kind of king is this? How can the Messiah, the long-awaited king, come here, suffer for me? This was even scandalous. The people rejected 
Jesus. Why? Because he did not fit their mold of a king. How about when we go through difficulty? When we deal with rejection. When we go through suffering. When we experience pain. What do we do? Do we react? Or do we respond? Max Lucado said this. Many say the presence of pain is the absence of God. Rather, the presence of pain is the best work of God. It is through our difficulty. It is through our sorrows. It is through the difficult circumstances that happen to us. The trying moments in our lives when we are being squeezed, when we seem to be, be crushed, that God is allowing this and we think he's absent. We think we, he doesn't care what's going on in our lives. But as we are being crushed, the finest is about to come out. The treasure is about to come out. The gem inside of us is about to come out. Just like olives need to be pressed if you want to get extra virgin olive oil. Just like grapes need to be crushed if you want to get the finest of wine. We all go through our share of difficulty. So don't, don't ask God to cut the process short. It is in the process that we grow. It is in the process that we experience a different dimension of his love. It is in the process that we learn that truly there's a God who loves and cares for us. So don't cut the process short. Yeah, let's give God the glory. So you may ask, why did Jesus have to go through so much suffering? Why didn't he just die and pay for our sins and finish? Why suffer all of that? Why go through all of that, all that agony? Why? Jesus not only suffered for himself, but he suffered for you and me. Jesus suffered severely throughout his trials torture and crucifixion it's not there but you'll see this in Matthew 27 in Mark 15 in Luke 23 in John 19 and his suffering his torture his agony was complete for you and me that's why when he says to us shalom nothing missing nothing broken why because there's nothing left he took it all Jesus suffered severely throughout his trials. He suffered physically. Isaiah 52, 14 declares, There were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form marred beyond human likeness. You could no longer recognize the man. His suffering was emotional. 
Why? Because all his disciples, all the people close to him, deserted him. They all disappeared. They were fearful. His suffering was spiritual. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that through him, you and I may become the righteousness of God. Nothing left. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Jesus had the weight of the sins of the entire world on him. It was sin that caused Jesus to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' brutal and physical suffering was augmented by his having to bear our shame, our guilt, our sins. He paid the full penalty on the cross nothing left behind and so when there are those because of pain refuse to forgive those who rather go through nursing their pain carrying their hurt carrying their unforgiveness that is tied to their pain instead of willingly letting go and forgive and moving on in the purpose and destiny that God has intended for their lives. There are those who are stuck in the wilderness of their pain and past. Jesus' suffering was so unimaginable. I, 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 can't, I cannot do justice to his suffering by trying to describe it to you. But it's time to forgive. Those of you who've been carrying that, it's time to forgive. It's time to let it go. Because there's nothing left. No more grudge to hold on to. He paid it all. He paid it all in full. What they did to you, the wrong they did to you, what they said to you, he paid it all. So Jesus is the servant king. He is the suffering king, and he's also the savior king. He is the savior king. Yes, truly he is the savior. No good and excellent man or woman who had made great contributions to humanity, no matter how excellent and worthy their life is, no one holds the title of savior except Jesus. He and he alone is Savior. Luke says to us in chapter 2, verse 11, For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you. You realize that? There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the reason why he was born. A Savior for you. And me. Matthew 121 says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Acts 412, 
And there is salvation in no other, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. That's why we sang earlier, he is worthy. He is worthy to sit as king in the throne of our hearts. He is worthy. No other name can save us but the name of Jesus. You know, popular thinking says that every religion is good. It teaches you good morals. Every path leads to God. Many people rely on their religion, on their choice for salvation. Others spin their hopes on their works, their good works. I'm not bad. I do so many good things for others. So surely, God will somehow, some way, find a place in my heart. Not so, my friend. It says in Proverbs 16:25, for there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Actually, there's only one way to reach God, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one gate to heaven, Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. No one else has that title. No one else went through all that suffering until all the way to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, to take our shame, and to take our guilt. There is nothing left to be done. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. So Jesus is the servant king. Jesus is the suffering king. And he is the savior king. Father, thank you for the work that you are doing in each and everyone in your house today. Thank you for your love that has paid for all our sins, taken away our shame and our guilt. Thank you, Lord, for freedom unto those that you have set free today. For truly, it is only the Son that can set each one of us free. And so today, we rejoice in that new found freedom. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the victory you've given us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm going to call on Pastor Jonathan to declare a blessing and dismiss us. But before I give him the mic, may I just plug this Monday, Thursday at 5 p.m. and Good Friday at 5 p.m. on GMA 7. Or you can watch it on YouTube or on the Facebook pages of the 700 Club Asia. We have our TV special. This Monday, Thursday is entitled Senior Moment, starring Mari Caimo and Carla Martinez. You will be blessed at the end, especially the marriages. At the end, Christina and I get to to minister to couples. So do watch that. God bless you. 
It was such a privilege to be here today to worship with you. Can we appreciate the Lord again for the life of Brother Peter? Would you raise up your hand as we receive benediction? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face always shine upon your life. And may the Lord continue to give you peace. Shalom. And as the, our preacher said today, may you experience the King in your life. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you po. Pagpalain po kayo and enjoy this week. Before you leave, hug somebody and tell them the Lord will visit your life today. God bless you.